This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. This is where they die. And the shield boys. Welcome to the WWF Monday Night... Oh, oh, wrong, wrong show, wrong show there. Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast, coming to you live from Houston, Texas and Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and co-host... Uh, the ever-confused by the intro, Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. It will all make sense once the re- once the episode posts, sir. It will all make sense. <laughs> oh, boy. So, Chad, The Way of the Water, a, a movie that we have talked about many, many times over the course of our time here together as podcast uh, partners. Your thoughts on the movie actually being released into the wild? No one hating it because they were all paid to fly to, England, <laughs> fly to London to see it themselves. Um... That would be my biggest takeaway is that um, I know that these people are critics and, and you want them to have integrity, but you also want them to have access. So nobody is going to trash a movie where the studio flew them overseas and pay for all their accommodations. Nobody's going to gleefully bash that movie. And to 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 further make sure that that doesn't happen the studio isn't going to fly somebody overseas to see a movie uh that may potentially bash the movie they're they're going to you know skew towards you know friendlier uh more forgiving critics and that's fine I, that that's completely fine so I say all that just to say people should keep that in mind as we get these early reviews in for Avatar because uh, I do genuinely believe these people like the movie, but even if they didn't, they wouldn't be as harsh on it because of the situation surrounding it. Um, you can do with that, with that information, whatever you will. So just to the reviews themselves, they seem overly positive, of course. Um, and I think that's, I think that is a good sign initially. It gets the good momentum going. I want to know when we get like the regular critics that see it on their regular critic screening 
next week. What do they think of it? Those initial waves. See if it content if it matches what we got right now, or are we going to get more of a split or more negative reviews? I think those will be more telling than this first batch. But this first batch is for is for a reason. It's to get momentum going for this gigantic ass movie. This gigantic 200 minutes plus long movie. The movie that has haunted Chad Metz's dreams for many years. Oh, no, 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 um, no, 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 no. It has never once haunted my dreams. Why? Because I've only seen the other one once and I don't care about it. it it's more of a uh, annoyance of my Twitter feed and as opposed to nightmare fuel. Well, I saw the re-release in, the, in an IMAX theater with three other people. So, I mean... I've seen it more recently, but um, here's my thing with this. Um, it's very much for me like Marvel movies. Um, I'm not going to judge a Marvel movie based on the reviews or the quote unquote social media reactions that come out of the premiere because you're just you're a you're still processing the film like you've literally just finished watching the film. And in this mm-hmm. case, as is the case with like Infinity War Endgame, you just finished watching a three hour movie. Like, you have a lot of information and visualization to process. It's going to take you a hot minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue that, actually, with most films, we need to to be able to have time and, and think and ponder before actually reacting. But um, I think that this was the expected outcome. I think that it will probably be something similar when the uh, critics' guilds get it, or the critics in the States, get it, get all to it next week. Because I just think that it's what Cameron does, man. He does big, bombastic, like, entertaining, visually stunning things. I can tell you from the eight minutes of footage I saw at the end of the re-release, like, this thing's gonna be a feast for the eyes and the senses. I mean, it's gonna drive people to the theater. And it has about six to eight weeks to run without competition. So I really think that that's what they're going to end up doing is is running without competition for a hot minute, running up a bunch of box office. And I think word of mouth on this will be the same way word of mouth was on the original, which is you have to see this. It's amazing. Story sucks, but visually it's something you have to see. And so that's that's generally what I think will happen. I'm just amazed that we're at this point where Cameron's out there like, I got ideas for Avatar 7 and 8. Uh, I mean, I I don't begrudge him saying whatever he wants because uh, no matter how I feel about the movie, he is James Cameron. He has a proven track record. Let him say whatever he wants. Now, the people that give him the money to make these things, I would hope that they're like, um, hold on, bro. Let's see how this does. Uh, because my my feeling on seeing more of these movies depends on this one. I think we're going to get an Avatar three no matter what. I think we're kind of that ship has already sailed. But um, well, Fox paid for both. Fox right. Fox cut the check for two and three. Yeah, two but and the three is fine. And and Cameron has said that if audiences reject Avatar two or three, that he's more than he's more than happy to wrap it up as a trilogy but the film does two billion dollars i don't see a way around us getting more 
especially when Disney has a theme park attached to it. Um, and like, how do I say this? Like, I think the story in the world that he's building could last for five or six movies because I think that he has enough world building and enough intentions um, and enough planning to do that. Does the world need six Avatar movies? Probably not. But if this is the world he wants to play in, and he at least wants to play in it for one more movie, because he's kind of indicated he's happy to, like Ryan Johnson has indicated, I'd like other directors to do Knives Out stuff. Um, Cameron's kind of hinted that he'd like other directors to step into the world of Pandora. How that works, I don't really know. Um, because they're both like worlds that are wholly created by their creator, and I can't really see other people, you know... Knives Out isn't a complete Agatha Christie reboot, you know? Mm. There are special Ryan Johnson-isms to that, those two movies. And I can't really see Guy Ritchie coming in and directing a Knives Out movie. I just, I can't. And it's the same way with Avatar. I can't, I can't really see Spielberg or Scorsese or Colin Trevorrow walking into the Avatar world and being super successful. I just, I have a hard time envisioning that. So I, I think that the other interesting angle of this is what you posted, the feed that you posted on your, on your Twitter the other day about the new box office reality and the new numbers and where, what, you know, 700 be, being the new billion and studios not catching up to funding at that, you know, budgeting at that rate yet. And that's determining a lot of success or failure for potential franchises at this moment. And does this need to do a billion dollars for them to green light four, five, and six? Or does it just need to do 700 million? And is it... There's a chance, Chad. There's a legitimate chance. Avatar The Way of Water could open higher than Black Panther. Like, it could do over $200 million domestic. It could be the first film post-pandemic aside from... No way home to do that. So, like, what are the box office realities, and what are the what are the games that Disney's playing? The rules that is it Disney's playing by to give Cameron that check to keep going? Well, <clears throat> I'm I'm glad you brought up the box office stuff because that's where I was going next. Um, I that's think why we're podcast partners, Chad. I know you. <laughs> well, I think um, it has to open bigger than. Black Panther. It has to open bigger north of $200 million um, to even have a chance to hit those numbers. I, the Everything I've heard is said that this movie needs to be like the fourth highest grossing movie of all time to uh, like really be profitable, really to break even because of how massive the budget is. That would put it, you know. Thank you, Rupert Murdoch. Right. That will put it in like the two million two billion dollar range uh, for context. You know, Black Panther will kind of ever open, I think, at like one hundred eighty one million right now. Currently, worldwide, it sits at seven hundred and thirty four million dollars um, based off the success of the first one, uh, the sex, success of the MCU and all of the things surrounding Wakanda forever. Uh in different times, this movie probably makes about a billion dollars. This one is probably going to tap out between seven fifty and eight hundred, probably closer to seven fifty because it only has two weeks left before Avatar comes out. 
And I don't think that's a failure. I think that touches on uh, that Twitter thread is that, um, you know, theater viewing habits have changed where, where you, when you make over a billion dollars, you're getting repeat audiences and like a massive amount of repeat audiences. People are seeing it more than two times. And that's what carries you over those billion dollar marks. Now, uh, with the code, like the, the Twitter thread was saying that the landscape was changing before COVID, but COVID, as it did with everything else, accelerated it. Now, um, people aren't, they might see it twice. And it's diminished by the fact that people now know that if you wait three months, it's not, not that you have to wait to buy it. It's going to be on a streaming service that you already have. So the incentive to see it multiple times in a theater diminishes because you don't like you don't have to wait. It's like it comes out today, theater tomorrow. It's on a streaming service that you already pay for that. That has cut into whole all this box office stuff. Now, we're still new with that because Disney could change the model for Avatar and be like Avatar is not coming on Disney plus until next year. So if you want to see it. Your only chance to see it is in theater until we take it out of theaters. They could do that. And maybe that facilitates repeat viewings for it. But I I think the audience's pattern, viewing patterns have changed enough that I don't think that would even matter. I don't think it's going to generate enough repeats to get to two billion. I'm really I am really I'm really questioning if it's going to get to a billion. It has all the chances to because it's coming out in Christmas. It's going to be the only thing there for basically two months. Uh, it's in the it's in the Spider-Man No Way Home slot. That's what that's the, when No Way Home came out and No Way Home hit a billion over a billion dollars. So it should. Um, but I would not be surprised if it didn't. And then how do how does the studio read that? Do they read see the, the changing audiences and give it some credit or they're like, well, you know, people kind of forgot about this franchise. Uh, the hardcores are back, but it didn't grab enough of the general audience to make them want to see it again and again and again. Uh, so it, so for it to be a success to me, it has to mirror the success of Spider-Man No Way Home and or Top Gun Maverick. If it has those, if it if it feels like those two, they put that damn thing back in theaters this week. Yeah, back in IMAXs. I I know, but because that's the kind of like that's the kind of movie that you want to see on the big screen. You want when you get when you finally get to the dogfights, you want to see it on a big IMAX screen. So I get why you do that, and that's like the thing with Avatar. People know that it's meant to be seen on the big screen, and they know it's been meant to be seen on the big screen with 3D. So that drives up the 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 box office on that. So because of that, that's why people go back. That's why people saw the first one so much because it was intended to be seen this way. That's the best way to see it. We cannot replicate that at home. We have to go see it. Do people still like? Has it advanced enough where people will still care just like that for this one? Strictly off of the the visuals, and because that's what that's what's going to sell this movie. The visuals are the visuals, and knowing that you can only see it like this, and you only have 
this limited time because it's only in theaters to catch it like this. Will that be enough? I just don't think it will be. I don't know that it's going to be enough to get it to two billion, but I think it will be enough to get it to a billion, especially if word of mouth is fantastic. And I expect word of mouth to be fantastic. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of competition. It's meant to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Disney's done a full marketing campaign for it. You know it's out there. You know it's coming. They did the re-release at a strategic time. Um, they pulled it from a streaming service in the in the right amount of time. Um, I think that Cameron's a great salesman. I think the visuals are stunning. I think the plot is very similar. Um, but like, I, th- I think that they have all the makings of doing something that's successful. Now, are they going to be as successful as... The original, we'll see, but like just the very idea that this movie has to be one of the top five grossing movies of all time just to make its budget back is insanity. And it just goes to show how much Robert uh, Rupert Murdoch was like, here, James Cameron, anything you want. You paid for my movie lots here. Yeah, so. I, I, so the I hear you had the, br- the man had the brass balls to compare his Avatar movies to the Godfather trilogy. Oh, I didn't hear that. Like, like that's been out there for years. Like he was like, I look at these movies as the Godfather trilogy story uh, about family and Omerta and all the rest of it. It's like, I mean, couldn't like you. You're putting yourself in the class of Francis Ford Coppola. Cool. Well, I mean, you know, it takes it takes some ego to be a director. So I'm not surprised to hear hey, that. I'm just thrilled that before he dies, I'm getting another Ford Coppola movie. Uh, how old is he? He's the same age as Lucas and uh, Spielberg. So he's what in his 60s, 70s. He's in the he's in the 70s. Uh, so mid to late 70s, I believe. Yeah, because Sophia's what in her 40s. Let's see. Because Sophia was the child in the first Godfather movie, which came out in, what, 72? Somewhere around there, yeah. Oh, no, he's 83. Yeah. Wait, so is George that old? I did not think George was that old. This man sold his winery in order to finance one more movie on his own. Oh, George is 78. I knew, I knew it was like middle to late 70s. So Spielberg is... The youngest of the three, seventy-five. Yeah, they were all they were all in that USC film school era together, and they were all giving notes on each other's projects. Yeah, Ford Coppola gave notes on Star Wars. Uh, Lucas gave notes on Godfather, and they all gave notes on Jaws. Jaws or Close Encounters or one of those. So yeah, yeah. Uh... But I just I just can't believe that that like Cameron has the balls to be like. This is the Godfather trilogy with blue people. And it's like, nah, bro, your movie's about environmentalism. That one's about religion and faith and, you know, crime. <laughs> Two completely different examinations, sir. That is, um, that's wild. That is wild to me. But, you know, uh, directors, egos, it, it's, it is what it I is. I mean, you have to have ego to, to, to make a movie that costs this much. And to take oh, yeah. this long to make it and to to talk about it for this long. Hey, you have to have some cojones. Massive, massive cojones. Uh, so I don't begrudge him whatever he wants to think about his stuff. But uh, 
Yeah, I I think this movie should make a billion. I just don't think pe- I think people will say I want to see it because it's because of the first one, because of how the theater experience and all that stuff. I just don't know if they're going to want to go back, particularly because this thing is over three hours. Yeah, that's the other thing. How many repeat viewings can you get on a three hour, 20 minute movie? Uh, so on her screen average, I, I think you can only do, especially because the theaters, at least the theaters here, uh, most of them are cutting like screening times. They don't do yeah, morning you don't, screenings. You don't, you don't have a screening here in Baton Rouge that doesn't start till one. Yeah, see? On a weekday. So if that's the case, I mean, three hours. So let's let's walk this out. If you have a one o'clock screening, you have 30 minutes of trailers. So the movie doesn't start until one thirty. So we'll just say it's three hours flat for this exercise. So that means you're not getting out until four thirty. There's like, what, 30, 40 minutes between each showtime. We'll just say 30. So you get one showing till four thirty. The next show doesn't start till five. So that's again eight thirty that that's done. So you the the last showing is starting at nine. You get three showings of screen. Uh, now, granted, you can say forget it and do half of your uh, screens with Avatar, so you can get more in. But it's still just three showings per day on one screen. Which is why Disney uses its muscle and is like, you're not getting the next Avengers movie if you don't put this on seven screens. Right. Right. I mean, and the way things have been going, I know th- the theater owners are going to be like, yeah, we'll put in as many screens as you want because we need people to come in here. They haven't been in here since uh, for, for two weeks since uh, Wakanda Forever started to tail off. Um, but it's still like Wakanda like, Forever I, is the number one movie for a month straight. Right. And it's going I mean, it's. Yeah, it's going to be again this week, and then next week is when it'll fall off because of Avatar. But uh, oh, oh, I like to, you know, use my daughter as like a measuring stick. So she wants to see this movie. Um, she is not overly excited about it. She wants to see it because she rode the Disney World ride. Um, but she has said the first one is boring. She's watched it, but she only she watched it at home. She said the first one is boring. And I told her this one is three hours and she groaned and rolled her eyes. And it's like, and she feels like it's a chore to go see this movie. She wants to see it. She understands. She understands that much about it, but it feels like a chore to her. So I I don't know. We will see. So Chad, you and I have both seen the best Christmas movie to come out in years. (laughs) Your thoughts, sir, on a spoiler-filled conversation about Violent Night. The best way I can describe this movie, uh, if we were, I know we're going to talk spoilers, but for those that know nothing about this movie, the best way I can describe it is it is Die Hard with Santa Claus with a sprinkle of Home Alone. How you think Home Alone should go for adults, sprinkled in right into the middle of the movie. That's that's perfectly encapsulate what this is um it is overly gory and violent but i mean when you you're leading with the name of the movie as violent night i think you kind of know what you're getting in that regards and they give it to you but it is it is fun um 
it it and it tries to have a little heart. I don't know how well it succeeds with that, but uh, I think if you're if you just want if you want to see Santa Claus kill a bunch of people and have fun with that kind of stuff, this is the movie for you. How surprised were you at Beverly D'Angelo's performance? <laughs> so when she came out, because I didn't know she was in this. So when she, when the character came out, I'm like, wait, is that Beverly D'Angelo? That was my first thought. And then within five minutes, I'm like, that can't be Beverly D'Angelo. That is that cannot possibly be Beverly D'Angelo. And from that point on, for the rest of the movie, I'm like, it was just a game in my head of, is it Beverly D'Angelo or not? And I was not, I was not sure until the credits rolled and said Beverly D'Angelo. And I was like, and I was like, well, I'll be damned. Um, you know, older people and their plastic surgery, you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, but the way she, <laughs> no, now knowing that it was Beverly D'Angelo and the way she played it, um, it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I don't know. It, I was just so distracted by not knowing if it was her. I don't, I don't really have anything else to like kind of add about her performance because that's literally all I did the entire time she was on screen. Well, for me, it's just like Helen, uh, Ellen Griswold is in this movie and she's cursing a whole bunch and being a complete and total dick to a senator on the phone. <laughs> what? But I've seen her like, well, I saw her in, uh, I mean, the first thing I saw her in was like Christmas vacation, but I've seen her in, uh, what was that hair, which is, she's not like this either, but it's, I mean, once you've seen her in hair, I, I'm, I'm open to seeing her any other place. Cause she's not just Ellen at that point. Um, but I want to say I saw her in something else, and she was kind of mean there too. So it didn't throw me off. But it didn't I can't throw remember me what off it was. So much as I'm just like, this woman has put herself in a Christmas classic, and, and is now playing the exact opposite character in another potential Christmas classic, in which she fires a gun and shoots a dude in the head. And that's probably the least offensive thing that has happened to any of the dudes in any of the movie so far to that point. Right. <laughs> oh man, yeah. It. W- I had a lot of fun with it. I I will say I probably didn't like it as much as I wanted to like it going in, um, and I think that has everything to do with the fact that um, I knew it was going to be violent, but boy, was it violent. So, uh, my my goal with watching it was to be like was to make it. A, a regular in the Christmas rotation, but I know with the people that live around me, I can't get away with watching this movie with them and force them to watch it because it's just going to be, it's just too much, too much blood and gore for them. Uh, so I think that's what kind of diminished, um, diminished my, my enjoyment of it. But in the moment it's, it's again, it's just Santa, it's Santa Claus beating up terrible people and Santa Claus is not that great of a guy himself, even though he, I mean, he, he does ultimately turn out to be like a good dude. But I mean, the first thing you see the Santa Claus do is get drunk and barf over somebody, which was effing disgusting, but you know, it sets the tone. Yeah. Okay. This is the Santa Claus we're getting. And that's the great thing about the movie. The movie does an amazing job of setup in a, in a fantastic way. It, it, you know, it shows you, 
it shows you the snowplow machine. You know, before people get rammed into it. It shows you the Christmas tree before you have the star put through somebody's eye. It shows you the pool table before you have somebody beaten to almost death with the with the pool balls. Like, it, it does a great job with setup and delivery. The, the, the radio that can connect to Santa. Um, the uh, very first scene of the son holding the package for his mom and kind of, you know, twiddling with his hands and seeming very nervous about it uh the nut the the presence of the nutcrackers that are used in more ways than one um you know it it, it does a fantastic job of setup and delivery um this is die hard one and die hard two mixed with home alone it is fantastic um the first thing i thought of when the extraction squad showed up was like oh oh now things are gonna pick up and then you get the uh, the Die Hard 2 twist um, with uh, Mr. McDowd when when Mr. <laughs> McDowd turns on on Bruce Willis there in Die Hard 2 and the snowmobiles and the whole thing. Um, that's that's what you get in this movie. John Lerizamo does a fantastic job as the Hans Gruber of this film. And, and it's really surprising from a guy who gets a lot of praise and credit for his comedic timing, his comedic work, to do this this really douchey, villainous role and do it so well. Um, I also love the setup that you you show how strong and how tough and how brutal these people are so that you think that when Santa shows up, he's like, uh, Santa's kind of in trouble here. Mm-hmm. Uh, these people are pretty bad. And then, like... It's just a brilliant setup. I like the way the film is structured. I like the performance Harvard gives. I love the little girl. I think she does an amazing job with what she's given. I I love Beverly D'Angelo just basically saying, you know, doing all of her things. My favorite line of hers is uh, is John Claude Van Dyck just just left us. (laughs) Um, It's just I've seen the film twice now, and it's just a complete joy. Um, I love the backstory of being a Viking, um, because that leaves, I love the, the subplot of Mrs. Claus, which is never resolved, like, who is she? Um, but I also love that, like, I'm a dude who laughed his rear end off at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when, uh, when, when DiCaprio brings back the flamethrower from three hours beforehand. And I just I'm laughing until I cry because it's absolutely hilarious. The idea that this woman is being burned to death in a pool. It's just just hilarious. And that's the way I felt in that shed. It's like this man is using a sledgehammer to destroy people. <laughs> this is not me and It's not a magically empowered hammer. This dude is just using the sledgehammer to like break people's legs and smash people's skulls. And this is hilarious. Yeah, that was the one thing I thought, uh. When they made a big deal out of his old hammer and uh, and the things he used to do with that, I thought for sure at, when it came to that point, um, he was going to reach in the bag and pull out that hammer. And then he was just going to start messing stuff up uh, for him to do it with another hammer. Uh, it, it 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 fit. It, it felt the same. It filled that same role. Uh, I just thought that they just kind of teed it up with his for it to be with his hammer. But we did get it later. It just not. Crushing anybody's skulls. And I'm also very happy that, like, they didn't just make Harbor a superhuman who just, like, 
destroyed everybody. Like he is beaten and bloodied almost literally to death yeah. by the end. Um, so like they, they do make it a fallible thing where like he is he, he does suffer uh, for the cause of, of liberating this child, not the family. Granted, the child so the family just got pissy because he burned five hundred thousand dollars for no reason. Yeah, right. <laughs> but when they still had all the rest of the money. Yes. You still had two point nine million. <laughs> You're good. Uh, rich people. They suck. What does not suck, however, Chad, are trailers. And one particular trailer that has, that Brazil Comic Con delivered unto us that gave you much joy and much happiness, and I think confirmed something that you and your daughter have been dreading. For quite some time. <laughs> Your thoughts, sir, on the new head of DC Studios bringing forth the trailer for James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, I was one. I was on that particular day. I was shocked. I mean, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, we'd all forgotten com- about Brazil Comic Con. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, it'd been two years. But, but even then, normally, like somebody will say something like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll say, oh, yeah, these people will be there. And then you'll kind of look out for it. Um, but no, it was just like, oh, yeah, this is happening here. Trailer. Oh, word. Cool. Oh, here's another one, too, that you missed. And that, that was kind of fun uh, being surprised like that. But as for the trailer itself, um, of all the Guardians trailers I can remember, this is clearly the most emotional one. It's clearly setting up like this is the end of the Guardians. And James Gunn has said it himself. This is the end of the Guardians as we they are currently constructed. This is the end of this team. So, yeah, it's it's heavy on the emotion. And uh, as you're alluding to, uh, we get to see a a baby rocket. And um, it it takes a shot of the baby rocket and then shows a shot of the grown rocket and we we know James Gunn has said that this will explore Rocket's origins, and this will. It sounds like it's going to be Rocket's movie, uh, and you get shots of the High Evolutionary who created Rocket in the comics, I believe. But he he is going to create him in this movie, so those things all kind of feed together. And yes, it does lead you to believe, along with James Gunn's words, that uh, there will be people that die, and this is the end of this team that uh, things do not look good for our little furry friend. Uh, add in that James Gunn has said that like he really wants to come back to finish this one because uh, Rocket is the character he's felt the closest to of any of the other movies he's ever done. Rocket is the closest thing to him. So it doesn't look good for the little raccoon. Um, yeah, my daughter has been like literally for years has been dreading that Rocket would die in Guardians 3. She saw this trailer and nothing nothing good came from it. Uh, all of her fears have only been heightened. And um, yeah, I all I said, I think it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a good movie. I will not be amused if I have to deal with a 14-year-old that is very distraught because a raccoon did not make it in this space fantasy movie, uh, I will be highly upset with James Gunn, who will be on to other things that could possibly upset me. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, 
Music choice is awesome. The fact that I it doesn't look like um, our boy. Um, it doesn't look like our boy will. Uh, oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, will Will Arnett's character or Will? Uh, oh, uh, Adam Warlock. Yeah. So it doesn't look like Adam Warlock is the dude, which I think part two kind of lead, led you to believe. Um, he looks like he's going to start out as an anti-hero and work his way to the hero side, which is great. Will Poulter uh, was the name of the actor I was looking for. Um, I think he's going to give a fantastic performance, and I think it's going to be a really fun time. Uh, the Christmas special was really awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the idea of uh, Mantis and Peter being brother and sister, which doesn't really surprise me because, you know, Ego was kind of doing his thing all across the multiple universes. Try, you know, all those skulls in the pit in volume two were his kids that weren't up to snuff. So, like, it makes sense that Homeboy would have had multiple kids and that Manus would have been one of them. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it was a beautiful trailer, wonderfully done. That had Rocket Raccoon saying he's done running. <laughs> so take with that what you will. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're. We're going to see. It just it it looks. Uh, it does not. I mean, I look just. Good. I also found it hilariously funny that Zoe Zeldana is on the uh, Avatar uh, press tour, and she's like, "I'm bored of franchises." It's like, lady, lady, you're an actor. You had full control over what contracts you signed and what contracts you didn't, ma'am. Like, this is totally on you. If you want to go do your own version of Little Women, you could have gone and done your own version of Little Women, ma'am. You, you, no one, no one made you go and sign a contract with Marvel for five films. No one made you go and re-up with James Cameron for another eight. Like, like, no one held a gun to your head. You could have very easily, you know, worked your schedule out to where you were at least doing something that you enjoyed. Yeah, and... It's not like, I mean, these movies, like she's saying, I know the way it's framed is like, all she's done is these big action. And and to an extent, that's true, right? You're talking about the Star Trek movies. There are three of those. There are, what, five appearances as Gamora at this point? The the three Guardians movies and the two Avengers movies. So that's five. And then you're talking about this Avatar sequel, which is. She's filmed roles for two and three, right? So there's another three appearances at, in the Avatar movies that, you know, that doesn't leave you a whole bunch of room. That's true, because I, I forgot about the Star Trek stuff. So when you throw that in, that basically because, you know, Avatar was 13 years ago. Uh, and then the first Guardians is the what? first Star Trek movie is 2009. So that then Avatar is so, 2012 and the first Guardians movie is 2014. I thought Avatar is 2012. Yeah. Uh, maybe 2009 also. I'm not sure. I thought it was. I thought it was. Yeah. OK. So, yeah. Avatar and Star Trek are 2009. Yeah. When when I heard her say the comments, my mind is like, OK, she did Avatar, which is 2009. And then she didn't do another one until. Guardians, which is 2013. So that's what? uh, uh, Four years? Four years apart. So that's plenty of time to do other stuff. But then when you throw in Star Trek, that means she did 
Star Trek and Avatar that came out in 2009. So she shot them probably close together. Then there's a second Star Trek movie, which probably came Star out. Star Trek in, Into Darkness. That came out, had to be like 2011. Uh, yeah, that's the Cumberbatch movie. Yeah, so let's see. 2013, 2013. So, oh no, so she doubled them up. 2009, she had two. 2013, she had two. So she had like a four-year period to do something else. But then from that point on, so it's Guardians in 2013. Then it's uh, Guardians in 2015. Then it's uh, Avengers in 2018, 2019. Um, And then she starts shooting for Avatar and this one. So... It does take up most of her time because she's there's pretty much, you know, like five years in like 15 over like 15 years. There's like five years where she didn't have one of those movies coming out, but she was probably working towards one of those. So that's not I mean, she had time to do other things. And I know she did other things because there when this came up, people were quick to screen grab uh, her uh, her. Nina Simone movie that she did that people said she should have not she should not have done. That was something to flex her artistic uh, creativity. So I get what she's saying because she yeah she had a lot of these they were all stacked on top of each other. I do think she could have done some other things, but also wrapped in that is like living a regular life. And I know she had kids in there too, so I get it. I get it, but uh, I didn't. I didn't hear it, so I don't know how she said it in the context of what she said. Was she did she sound bitter? Uh, was she just like answering a question, and we just get the the blurb, and it sounds this way? I don't know, so I don't want to harp on her too much. But um, I, I think it's I think she has a fair criticism, but I also think there was there were opportunities for her to do other things, just maybe not as many as she may have liked. This is very true. And let it be said that there were no other trailers that debuted at at Comic-Con Brazil. There were no other Lucasfilm projects that were talked about or mentioned. They were Excuse me? no there 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 were no more uh there were no no more projects talked about at that particular convention other than Excuse the me? Guardians 3. Wait, wait. Wait. Am I on I'm in the prime timeline. Are you not in the prime timeline cuz I I could swear that uh, there was something else. I think something that came out before this. I, a matter of fact, I know there was something else that came out before this because I text you for one of the two things, and it was not Guardians. I, I don't. I don't entirely know what you're talking about, sir. You'd have to refresh my memory because we re- uh, everything, oh, we're really about to do this. Brazil Comic Con is a blur. We're really about to do this. Okay. All right. So, um, old ass man is about to put his fedora back on. And we got to see a trailer for it um, in which old ass man got to look like young ass man again. And old ass man is still fighting Nazis in the 60s. Um, does that ring enough bells? Do I need to crack oh, a whip? Oh you, oh, you mean you mean the first Indiana Jones movie since uh, The Last Crusade? You know what? I can only deal with so much amnesia at one time. So, yes, yes, you're right. Uh, I believe somebody somebody texted me that hope is a very dangerous thing, and hope <laughs> is exactly what that trailer gave me 
Because this is exactly the kind of trailer I wanted 12 to 15 years ago when I got freaking Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Like, this is the pulpy, fun... Like, seeing John Rhys-Davies, who is a master actor and character actor, bringing back, coming back at such an advanced age, literally made me cry. Because it's like, you know, here's Gimli. Here's a guy who, who did not get a chance to return to this role all those years ago when they did Crystal Skull. Like, there are not many of those those Last Crusade folks left. And here he's one of them. And to bring him back, and to him... To make him the recruiter, which was, uh, you know, which was another another character's role in the previous two films um, or the previous three films um, to make him the recruiter and to basically go to Indy and Indy basically be like that part of my life is done. And to make from what I can tell of the trailer, um, Phoebe Weller Bridge be John Reese Davis's daughter Um is an interesting way to go. Um, it encourages me to believe they are going to give her the bullwhip and the fedora. Although, again, James Mangold has very vicious, uh, vociferous, uh, vociferously and very full-throatedly uh, declared to the internet that there is no passing of the torch, that there is no new Indiana Jones at the end of this movie, that, that this is the role that's going to die with Harrison Ford. So that kind of complicates things for me a bit because it looks like in all the reporting from the set was they were leaning into giving Phoebe Weller-Bridge the fedora and the whip. And if she was Sala's daughter, she would be very capable of taking that role. Um, I love the action. I love the the beats. I love the Nazi, the return to Nazism because we stepped into a Kate Blanchett void of communism and a radiation you know resistant refrigerator in a movie that doesn't actually exist um i like that we're back to fighting nazis i like that we are going to use the aging technology and we're going to go back to last crusade i like that um we're going to be back to telling an indiana jones story that looks like an indiana jones story say what you want to about crystal skull crystal skull did not look or feel like an indiana jones story like, this feels very much in the vein of what George would have done. And it'll be the first Indiana Jones movie not written by George Lucas. And it'll be very interesting to me to see what that looks like. But Mangold has Western experience, has action-adventure experience. Looks like he got the action set pieces down. He's not shying away from the age of his lead. He's very much aging, letting, letting Ford play the age of it. I love the fact that he's still a freaking archaeology professor with a freaking overhead projector. Like, I love the fact that we're getting back to him teaching classes. Um, I mean, but at, at that age, that's all he should be doing. Not the rest of this. Okay, yeah. And, and you know my position on this for as long as we've done this podcast is I want the adventures of young Indiana Jones. Right. I, I want the diary. I want the stories they were doing in the adventures of young, the Chronicles of Young Indiana Jones, which, you know, promotional plug here is available to stream on Dis on uh, Paramount Plus. If you would like to know what that was like, um, like there are stories to mine there, and Rick McKellum was mining them in that series, and they were really interesting and really deep. I mean, the the pilot episode of that TV series is two hours long, man. 
the pilot episode of that series this is a movie basically like there's plenty of room to do that and i know what he, what ford said i know what pratt said about what ford had said i know what mangold is saying on twitter but the fact is the young indian jones chronicles exist and so does the opening the cold open of indian jones and the last crusade other people have been Indiana Jones and have portrayed Indy at different points in his life that weren't Harrison Ford, the agent or not. So, like, you can do it. Um, and that has been my position for a long time. But if we are going to get one more outing like this, I'd prefer it to be this way, to look this way, to feel this way than what I got in 2005, 2006. Right. Because I would challenge you, Chad, to go back and look at the first trailer for crystal skull and like it, it doesn't feel like this yeah i'll give you that um just what i can remember from crystal skull because i have not seen that I, I think i've only seen that movie once all the way through I haven't seen it since we saw it the first time um th- this this trailer feels more like what i think of as indiana jones than all of crystal skull together now Again, that's just a trailer, so it could be we get into the theater and watch the movie and it's Chris Skull all over again. Could be. But this trailer does this trailer does what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to invoke feelings of what you think of as Indiana Jones and then correspond that with images you see on the screen of an older Indiana Jones. Uh, if you can still get that feeling for Indiana Jones, even if he's older with this trailer, the trailer has done its job. We'll see about the movie when we see about the movie. But the trailer, you know, I think the trailer was a good foot forward to reassure fans of Indiana Jones that we're trying to get it back to what you think of for Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I love their parts of Crystal Skull that I like. Okay, I I like the idea of McCarthyism costing him his job. I like the idea of, you know, him fighting another ideology that isn't Nazism. I love but I didn't like the idea of him literally running into a storage facility in the Ark of the Covenant just randomly being there. I didn't love him getting in a Jeep that turned into a a submarine on a whim. Like I didn't like, you know. I didn't like Shia LaBeouf swinging from tree limb to tree limb like he was freaking Tarzan. Like, <laughs> I loved the Marion and Indy stuff. And exploring that relationship 30 plus years later was something that I really enjoyed about that film. But there was not as much desert. There was not as much adventure. There was not as much swashbuckling. You know, it, it was just a different kind of film. And it that film very much felt to me like that film very much felt to me like Harrison Ford, Steven Spielberg, tying George Lucas to a, ca- a chair, you know, putting his feet in a pit of piranhas and telling him that if he didn't uh, and if he didn't come up with and tell, telling him that if he didn't come up with the script, they would like completely fill it, you know, throw him in the pit with the piranhas. Like it felt like those three, those two wanted to make a, an Indiana Jones movie at that point in their, their lives and their careers. And George was just like, well, this is the best idea I've got. Indiana Jones versus the Martians. And they were like, okay, we'll make it work. 
And this very much feels like Mangold doing a Western action adventure movie with Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones in the lead, which is what those first three movies are. And so I'm very excited by the prospect. I'm very excited about the perform the potential performances. I'm even excited about the potential de-aging technology usage. Lord knows Lucasfilm is the one perfecting that technology at this particular point in time. Marvel's only used it like twice, I think. Mm-hmm. Once on Hank Pym at the beginning of Ant-Man and once on uh uh once on Downey, I think at some point. Um for the uh for the scene in Iron Man 3 where he talks mm-hmm. to his dad. So, I mean, Lucasfilm's the one that's been doing this more often and more regularly. Um but yeah, I mean, I just it gives me hope and excitement, more hope and excitement than I ever thought I would have for another Indiana Jones outing. Because my father still does not let me live down the fact that I took him to both The Matrix Reloaded and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull at midnight, <laughs> and he hated both of them. <laughs> that, that's that's a bad roll of the dice there. But, you know, the, hearing, you, hearing you say those things about that trailer means the trailer did what it was supposed to do. You feel reassured about it. You you feel better than you did leaving Crystal Skull. That's the best the trailer can do. Indeed. So, Chad, today, at this time, we are recording episode number 300. I wanted to get your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions on uh, the podcast, the Movies on the Brain podcast to this point. Um, what your feelings are, thoughts are on, on 300 episodes. And uh, some thoughts on where you'd like to see us go in the future. Yeah, well, um, obviously, this has been a fun ride to that we're still doing this. Um, what? How long has it been now? So what? Seven years? Two thousand and fifth July, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, seven years. Yeah, uh, me and Matt. We have done all of. kinds of different episodes. We've done episodes. At the LSU libraries, we've done them on the third floor, the fourth floor. We've uh, we've done them in the Watergate room. We we've done them right. on the back porch of the patio of a of a bed and breakfast. We've uh, <laughs> we've done them at my apartment. We've multiple versions of apartments that I've lived at. <laughs> um, we've done them in your car. Um, well, we've done them we've in your car. Them, <laughs> we've done them in my car. We've done them a lot of different places. Right. It's it, yeah. I, I forgot I forgot about all of that, but yeah, we've we've done it a lot of different ways, and things have changed and evolved over time, and uh, because of the pandemic, and then my moving, uh, Zoom has been, Zoom has been the way that we've done it the last what three years now, uh, but through it all, you know, it's just been, if nothing else, it's just been two friends they get to sit around. And talk about movie stuff, and you know, um, as long as we like doing it, it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't really matter who listens to it. I I do like that people do listen to it, and that you know we have it has grown more, uh, or at least most of my more of my friends have you know actually paid attention to what I post and have listened more. So that's my only gauge for that. But I I mean. It has. I've always liked movies. I do like speci- I, I do like specific kind of movies more than others, but I like stories in general. 
And if nothing else, by doing this, um, not that I there are movies I wouldn't want to see, but I actively try to see other movies that I probably would have kept. I mean, I kick a lot of movies down the road anyway, but I come to some of them quicker than I would have not doing that. So it in that way, it's enriched me in in my movie viewing and uh, and habits and whatnot. But again, the the, the best part about doing it is just uh, just doing it with you, and we we just talk about this stuff and uh, and and the joys we have of movies. I, I know the a big thing is uh, my ever uh, constant frustration with a certain movie studio and certain movies that they they put out. But at the end of the day, if I didn't love those movies, I love talking about those movies. There's no point in doing this. So, it the enjoyment of movies has been what keeps to me what keeps this going the way it does. Um, and I'm I'm glad we can do this as long as we want to do this, and that we want to do other things with this. Um, it, it just it's it, it it speaks to how we've done it so long, so uh, as it is right now. Uh, in the future, um, you know we we keep saying we keep talking about you know Patreon and stuff, and we'll we'll get to that. We'll probably we'll do other things, but again, as keeping keeping that core thing of whatever we do, if we expand more things, if there are other people that are involved, it's just about the enjoyment of movies and entertainment and stories. And that's what we we are. We love stories, and that's always going to be a part of what we do. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop talking now. Um, I started this podcast because I had some friends, um, some very dear friends, uh, that really pushed me to do it. I was um, a very very big fan of the uh keeping it real podcast and um i was very a very big fan of the fact that jim vavita you know for as busy as chris carl and uh terry schwartz and ralph Gornett were at their times when they were at ign that he took that opportunity to find a way to get everybody together and sit around a microphone at ign and talk about movies you know it was always just him and roth and chris and uh terry and and tom jurgensen and 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 you know joey esposito and all the rest of them that they had over the course of 300 319 28 episodes it was them just sitting around on a couch against uh, up against one another talking about film laughing making jokes and having a good time and that's what i wanted this podcast to be and the thing was the very first podcast that we did or that i did was a solo podcast um on age of ultron and i realized very quickly that i needed a partner i needed somebody to balance ideas back and forth off of and opinions off of i need I needed somebody who was going to keep my craziness in check. <laughs> and I had been at LSU. 
Um, we had met at a Man of Steel screening almost 10 years ago now. I was wearing a CM Punk shirt that you, that you, uh, that you commented on. And, and our mutual love of professional wrestling bled into our love of, our mutual love of film. And when I asked you to, to join this podcast and to, to talk about our reaction to Ant-Man, I didn't know how you were going to respond. It was a, a leap of faith on my part. But it was a leap of faith that, to me, very much paid off. Because I, I wouldn't have traded the last seven years and all the movie premieres and all of the the meetings in the Watergate room and the the crazy and, and chaoticness of schedules and, and stuff for anything. Um, you've been a great partner. You've been a great friend. Um, you've helped this podcast grow, not only in your opinions and in your thoughts, but also in its, in its listenership. And I am forever in my, in, in debt to you for the kindness and the, and the, the grace and the knowledge that you provide to this podcast and your willingness to jump in full throat with me on this and, and make it work for seven years. Um, and we're, we're thankful to T-Bob for coming on at a time when T-Bob was you know, back fresh in Baton Rouge and and being willing to come on multiple times and put us in a recording studio, uh, which was a, a great honor and thrill and will always be a great honor and thrill for me. Um, like to thank uh, thank uh, we'd like to thank Jim, and you know that that dude doesn't have to do what he does for me and what he does for this podcast, but he is always there to answer the call. He's always there to to take an interview, make 15, 20 minutes, and it always ends up being more than 15, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and and give those to us. And he's he's been a great friend personally to me, and he's guided me on my career path in a way that is very meaningful and important to me, and I'm glad that he continues to contribute to the podcast. And I'm, and I'm grateful that um, Grant has come along and that Grant has been pushing us toward doing more mobilization and marketing and promotion of the podcast because ultimately, like, you know, you do, you and I both want this to be a success and for as many people to hear us as possible. And I think Grant helps with that tremendously. And I know they took a large load off of your shoulders with the editing process, but <laughs> um, I'm thankful to him for offering his services and to, really digging what we were doing and, and offering to help. Um, you know, I, I'm thankful to the three young ladies who pushed me to do this in the first place, all three of whom are now married with kids. Um, I'm thankful that, that I get to do it with you, and I am grateful that people all around the world listen and care about what we have to say about the cinematic work of film. And I hope that that continues. I hope that we find ways to create our own little niches on Patron. And if people want to follow us on there and, and want to donate and, and contribute monthly, that will definitely help offset some of the potomatic cost. But, um, you know, I'm, I look forward to what the future holds, but I'm also deeply thankful and deeply appreciative of, of what has come to this point. That is episode 300. And, and I couldn't ask for a better partner, couldn't ask for a better friend and, and couldn't ask for a better excuse to sit around and, you know, talk about movies once a week. I'm going to just let, yeah, I, look, 
that meant a lot to me. I, you know, podcasting is a, a audio uh, medium, so you, people couldn't see me just kind of sitting and like, you know, just kind of taking it all in. But yeah, the, um, I mean, you, you said you didn't know what I would say when you asked me to do the podcast. Uh, I mean, I'm old, so I don't remember a whole bunch of stuff. I do remember, like, when you asked, I was like, yeah. And I just kind of thought, hey, I'm going to be on one podcast. And that was, like, that was my first thought. And I was so glad to be here for all of it. So, uh, like, as as much as you appreciate uh, me for being here, I appreciate you for, I mean, beyond the podcast, like I told you before, you're just one of the best people I know, so I'm glad to actually be this, do this with you. And I'm gonna stop now because you know uh, the, these old emotions will get the best of me at some point. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna let it ride out while they're still in a chill mode. It, it's okay. We, we will re we will reunite in the uh, Watergate room at some point. But <laughs> um. But we do want to thank uh, thank T Bob, and we do want to thank Jim, and we want to thank uh, uh, Grant for what he right. does for the podcast, and, and we want to thank City Slice, who is at one point uh, uh, you know sponsored the podcast for a hot minute. We look forward to um, look forward to the future. If anybody's looking to actively sponsor the podcast, please let us know. Yep. Um, but thank you to our listeners. Thank you to those who live in the United States. Thank you for those who live in other countries, especially Russian bots who are spying on me and trying to get me in trouble with the CIA again, which I would prefer not to have happen again. Waterboarding is a very unusual process. Um, But thank you to our to our friends. Thank you to those who listen. Thank you for those who have made this an appointment view appointment listening in the last three uh, seven years and have grown our our uh, listenership and thank you to potomatic for for allowing for for allowing us to continue to pay an absurd amount a month to to host our our, uh, our our server so um listen you know we don't do this without you and so we appreciate you reach out to us comment send us dms follow us on twitter make sure we know where who you are and where you are so that we can give you a shout out and like we deeply appreciate our listener base and appreciate those who support us and encourage us to keep doing this. So with all that being said, that'll do it. That'll about do it for episode number 300. Uh, if you want to keep up with this podcast, I am at BCW tiger fan. I'm at the Mets theory. And our producer is at Grant L. Fletcher. Thank you very much. And as always keep pepper pots in your heart. And Mark Sanchez, number one in your life. You couldn't get out of here without that, right? <laughs>